Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues. Three opinions. One Everton podcast. Welcome to episode 210 of the Unholy Trinity Podcast, brought to you in association with Sports Social, Europe's biggest sports podcast network, and also Fanatics. What could have been a real positive week for the club ended disastrously, it's got to be said, at Goodison Park yesterday. A lot to get through on today's show, um, including the the appeal outcome, obviously, at the start of the week, which which came out just after we recorded, obviously, Sunday's show. We were expecting it, and it delivered on the on the Monday, I think it was. And I'd like to say, joining us all today from the Everton Fan Advisory Board, who had, obviously, a role to play in, in that appeal, that appeal outcome. It's Paul McMonies and, and Pablo, as you imagine, may know him, of course, his Twitter name as well. But Paul, like to have you on the show today, and I'm going to bring you in straight away if I can, because like I said, a positive-ish start of the week, given the fact that we, we had the appeal outcome, we knew we got four points back. As much as we discussed it countless times on the show, we, we, we wanted more. You know, we thought the 10 points was, was draconian and, you know, it, it didn't really fit the crime. Um, but coming to you first, obviously the fan advisory board did present almost a, a dossier, if you like, of, of evidence with uh, with a, a background to the club, a history, um, and a lot more things in between. Just talk us through, if you can, the the, the thought process behind that and how all that came about, and, and thinking that that was a, a good road to go down. Yeah, so it was. Um, I have to say, it wasn't me. Uh, it wasn't me that started it off. It was. Uh, I think it's mainly our secretary Julie or vice secretary Tony. Um, they're the more sort of um, politically legal sort of aware uh, people on on the fab. Um, there's eleven of us on the fab, all got different sort of skill sets and things like that. But um, I think the key thing that that's, that's key to point out is that um, we weren't invited to do it. There was no 
like guidelines for us to do it. We just literally off our own bat. Well, they they off their own bat. I didn't even know they were doing it. To be honest, they were they they they're very clued up on the fan led review and uh, you know the independent regulator that's going to be coming in and things like that. So they they the independent regulator and the white paper um, that this that's going into it um, said that fans should have a voice. You know, so we took that as saying, well, you know, we should have a voice in this. So we'd asked Everton. We'd said, you know. Should we be doing, you know, where where are we in this? Because when the original judgment came out about the 10 points, the Premier League made a statement to say that all the major stakeholders have been consulted. And it was like, well, you haven't, you haven't, you haven't consulted us, we're the fans. So the decision was made to, uh, you know, to 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 put this document together. And as, as I say, I, I didn't have anything to do with the document, document put together. We did a bit of proofreading. We, we sort of gave our opinion on some bits of it and stuff like that. But to be honest, it's, it was far in excess of what I was expecting us to be putting together. I thought we might, you know, it might be just a kind of a bullet point list of, of some of the key points that, you know, we think that, you know, are unfair in the decision and things like that. But, you know, what it actually ended up being, the full history of Everton and the, and you know, and, and sort of things that have gone against us in the past as well, really. Not in a not in a victim sense, but just in a kind of you know, the, the, these things have happened to the club, and 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 to try and get us, give, give the, the the commission a sense of you know the effect that it has on the fan base. And you mentioned, Mike, that you know the the, the the it was a positive um, getting that decision at the beginning of the week. To be honest, it was a positive just getting the decision because that limbo, that that it was it was it was killing us. It was killing the killing the club. Dice mentioned it about the players. The fans were all on edge. That uncertainty hanging over you. And we've still got it with the second charge as well, remember, but to a lesser degree. But that limbo is is absolutely killing. And it's not just limbo for us, the clubs around us. Um, and I think that for me personally, this is not a fab thing, this is a me thing. Something's got to change whereby if you're going to have these rules and regulations that can mean points getting docked. There's got to be a window for that to happen, like the beginning of the season or something like that, so that so that all your appeals are done, everything's sorted and it's dusted, and they're the points you're getting done. Okay, they go off next season now because if you do it the way it's doing at the moment, you know we could still have points taken off. Forest could, if there'd have been more clubs that are breached, you could have had five, six, seven clubs that might have been getting points dot during the season. It's chaos because you look at that and you're like, well teams are putting out, you know, they're, they're playing games and saying, well, well, we'll settle for a draw here because we think we're all right. Well, actually, we might have gone for that if we'd known that Everton were going to be getting four points back this week, for example. It might be that they were like, oh, yeah. So it, I think that, the, the, that that's one of the biggest changes that needs to happen is when the points are deducted, if you're going to be doing these things going forwards, which it seems they are, um, is key because it's the uncertainty for me that, that kills everything. Yeah, we said, didn't we, last week when we recorded around this uncertainty and you mentioned there the minds, yeah, for, for the first time, really, it said it was starting to get to, to him. Obviously, James Garner spoke last week as well about the, the same thing. And, you know, it does, of course, it plays into people's minds. You know, there are people at the end of the day and, and the longer it went on, it, it was a drawn-out saga. Now, now, don't forget, by the way, this second charge, this has all got to be, pretty much boxed off. Is it a few days after the end of the season, potentially, which, by the way, in itself is, is horrendous. Um, but how quick that's going to be done compared to how quick this was done is is night and day. And it's um, the, the season has been totally marred, not, not just for us. I, I think the Premier League season as a whole, to be honest with you, for many clubs, that's all the people are talking about. The fact that, you know, there could be more points deductions. You, you, you look at now at Aston Villa, going into the summer, Wolves, Newcastle, having to sell 
their best players to, to then meet the regulations for 23-24. Now, you know, if you look at Villa uh, and Newcastle especially, two sides that are looking obviously to, to really kick on. Villa potentially getting Champions League football this season. And what's their reward? Their reward is having to sell the best players to try and meet financial regulations. And almost, not starting again, but dropping back down again to try and build again. And you just think, what's, what is the point in the whole thing? But like you say, it was the uncertainty, which obviously we can now tick that off um, and, and say, well, that's charge one dealt with. We know where we are with that. But we now go into the second charge, knowing, well, that six points seems to be seems to be some kind of starting point. However, mitigating factors will dictate, I'm sure, the fact that we can we can bring up the, you know, this whole double jeopardy situation around two years already being dealt with out of the three that we've been charged for again. So I'm sure that will have some kind of sway, but we're still probably looking at some kind of points deduction because the, the report literally says that's what we, what they have to do. There's no other punishments that, that they can use effectively. Um, but it's 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 really, I think, it's really left uh, a sour taste in the mouth, I think, I think, for a lot of fans, especially obviously of our club, the fact that we've been had this drawn-out process that has gone on and on and on since, was it, was it November when we first got told we were losing 10 points? It's a long time. You know, we're now in March. You know, the back end of February when it was when the, the appearance came out. It's a long time for a club to operate. And we, we've already mentioned, you know, off air about we should be looking at other things which are probably more important, which is the ownership of the club being being the main one. That's almost getting forgotten because of what's happening over the, the, the point situation. But we felt, you know, with with obviously the outcome of the appeal obviously becoming due, that it then should potentially potentially help to provide some clarity to the situation uh, and, and hopefully help us going forward. And obviously the first time, the first game we've had, obviously, is West Ham, which we'll come on to in a minute. But I'd, 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 bring, I'd bring you in, Lee, if I can. What, what's your thoughts on the outcome of the appeal in terms of the points we've got back? Obviously, the, the report mentions basically it was because of legal failings, wasn't it? It was legal failings, which obviously Super Silk had brought up. They dismissed another seven points that he brought up and said, well, two that you mentioned out of the nine, we have to take that on board and there's, there's four points back. What's your take? Because you, you were very, very vocal about wanting the full 10 points back, weren't you? Well, yeah. Firstly, can I just commend you, Paul, and the team there at Fab for putting in, you know, what was, let's just say, a dossier in the end, didn't it? Everything you put, guys put together was phenomenal and yeah, you act as a voice for us. So I, I just want to doff my cap to you and the team there for, for doing that and, and, and everything you did because, you know, that's not a Mickey Mouse process. It takes up a lot of your time. You know, a lot of time you give up outside of what you do as well. Do you know what I mean? So, first of all, thanks for doing that and, 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 and providing us a voice because that, that voice, as you said, as a stakeholder, should be heard because fans are a big part of football. Without the fans, and we hear that saying all the time, but it's true. Without the fans, we have no game, full stop. And you know that 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 point though those points definitely need to be made and they were. Um, but yeah, Mike, going back to my you know I was very vocal from the outset and I was trying to separate the emotion from it. Uh, and I'm not a legal expert and I would you know I, although I've worked in in banking in a previous life I'm not a financial expert either. But you know you used the word draconian before and I think that you know that's exactly what it was. The fact that as Paul just mentioned. You know, the way it's been handled is deplorable. The fact they haven't even got a penalty system for knowing, you know, if you breach by X, you will then receive these points. The fact they're referring to, you know, you know, EFL, um, you know, rulings as well. 
And even as we go into this second charge now, we still don't know what the, those points are. I mean, you know, Paul Paul just said it himself there. These should be at the start of the season, you know, 110%, because the league is not the league. You heard you heard the Luton manager coming out the other day say, yeah, we've got Everton up on our, on our changing room wall, basically with all 10 points back. You know what I mean? I mean, how can we even operate in a league where you don't even know where teams are going to be? And it's not just us, by the way, who've been affected. Like you said, it's other teams around us. You mentioned Villa before, Mike. Let's say, you know, Villa had, say, slightly breached. You know, they could, that could potentially cost them a Champions League spot. I bet you that would be getting headlines everywhere because obviously that's a, a real chunk of money for them. You know, a club that's trying to pu- push those champion, Champions League spaces. So it just sums up the way the, the, way the whole thing's been handled and the sooner we get an independent regulator, the better. I think everyone would pretty much say that now um, because Richard Master hasn't exactly covered himself in glory here, has he? He's come across rude, arrogant, with a lot of things he's saying. Um, almost, almost says, you know, what I say, probably unprofessional as well, particularly the way he spoke in the hearing as well. Um, but, you know, the four points back for me, Mike, you said it before. So it's, we almost like act like we have to be grateful for it because it's given us a bit of a boost, you know. And, and that that should never be the case here. Yes, Everton have always admitted we've breached. I felt we had more than a few mitigating circumstances. For example, the war in Ukraine and you know the lack of sponsorship. For example, that USM would have given us that would have made us a lot more financially stronger as well. There's a host of things there that were thrown out that were never taken into consideration. So for me, I always felt it should have been either a transfer ban or a fine. And the fact that it was a points deduction, which actually in a, in a way is also a quasi fine because we will lose you know, cash in terms of league position. So it affects that as well. I felt all along it should never have been that because what it's done now by setting that precedent, it is going to impact a lot of other clubs now, like Forrester now being, you know, potentially going to get uh, six points. So we think, again, we still don't know. They don't, they don't know. Um, so it's, it's a really, it, the way, the, the way, the way the, uh, the points has, has been applied halfway through a season, like I said before, the way it's affected the table now, and more importantly, the way it's affected how we've approached matches. I said on the podcast last week, Dice is clearly the last, I'd say five or six games in particular has gone ultra defensive in a lot of games. That game yesterday was the first time he took, he, he took the handbrake off particularly second half and had a go at a team for, for as, for as, well, for as long as I can remember, early to mid December was probably the last time I saw us have a go and have more than, more than 15 shots in a game. And that shows you the effect it's had, you know, on the way we've approached a lot of these games, particularly the last, I would say seven or eight games. Yeah, totally. You know, we've had this discussion many a time in terms of the approach that that we we've made to games, especially that Palace game, obviously, which is one that under normal circumstances, if we're sitting in the round mid table, we probably don't approach the game in that way. You know, and that's the thing. And like I say, the the West Ham game was the first game since. And obviously, Pete, me me and you were there, weren't we, in in our usual spots. And we had a good chat before the game about the appeal outcome and and whether, you know, we'll see we'll see a different approach. Do you think that going into the game yesterday against West Ham, do you think that we, we've then, we've seen a different approach given that obviously the side that played, the way we approached it, or is, is that is that too easy to say that we did? Yeah, I, I, I think it probably might be. For, for me, I, I, I don't think there was a huge difference in how we 
approach the game. I think if if anything, I, I see it slightly differently and that I think teams are starting to give us a little bit more respect. I think especially when we play at home. I think in a weird way, Crystal Palace probably almost offered offer the template really in that they were maybe the first team I've seen come to Goodison just sit back and let us have the ball and say, you know, okay, you come on to us. I think teams have worked out that our strength is is counter-attack. Um, and I, I think probably, up, you know, up until the turn of this year, teams came to Goodison Park to have a go at us. And I, I think it suited us. Um, I just I just think we were really unlucky against, against West Ham. Um, I, I think we've got a lot of tired players. I think people forget how many injuries that we've got, uh, how much the, 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 squad, the squad's probably struggling. Obviously, we'll come on to, to Beto and Calvert-Lewin, I'm sure, but I just think we're really unfortunate. And there have been too many games like this. You know, we're, I think early on in the season, we were talking about kind of the XG story and I think we've commented a few times on the podcast, it, it kind of risks defining our season, really. And I think it's going that way, that, you know, Everton are creating an awful lot of, of good attacking chances. But I think you hit the nail on the head yesterday after the game, Michael. You, you look at the stats and, what, 22 shots or however, however many we, we have sounds, you know, incredibly impressive. And we did have some high-quality chances that we should have done better with. But a lot of those shots, we didn't work the keeper enough there wasn't enough quality, I don't think, in, in our attacking play. And I think everyone has to take responsibility for that. So I, I think it's a combination of factors. But I I don't think Dice took the shackles off yesterday necessarily. I I think teams are starting to give us a, a bit more respect at Goodison Park and are putting a bit more pressure on us to play. Because um, I, th- I thought we started the game similar to how we did against Palace, where almost we were trying to bait West Ham. And you could feel the crowd starting to get a bit nervy, and I've not I've I've not seen that for um, for a while at Goodison Park. So I I do think maybe we're having to adapt our game and play a little bit differently. We've always been a, a side who enjoys not having the ball, don't we? You know how many games have we won this season where we had about thirty percent possession? You know, and, and and that's what we're comfortable doing. We've seen the last few weeks, Palace. Um, not so much Brighton, but we had probably more than we than we thought against Brighton. And then yesterday, fifty five percent possession. We had a good some park, you know. And we and we don't like it, you know. And, and we're playing out from the back, aren't we? You know, Pickford to the two centre halves, and I mean that 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 makes you nervous at the best of times, doesn't it? But it's we we are playing away, and we and certainly again yesterday we played in a manner where maybe sides are now forcing us to play this way to say, well, go on, we we we'll try, try and play out, and and we we'll try and then. We'll try and nick the ball. And, you know, it wasn't... The funny thing was for me, and people can, can agree or disagree, it wasn't even a bad performance. Let, let's let's get it right. It wasn't a bad performance. You know, we, you look at the first half, they didn't create a great deal. We missed a penalty. First one of the season that we've got, obviously. Um, but the chances you mentioned there, Pete, obviously the chances, 22 shots we had, which which is, you know, Lee, Lee has mentioned a few times in recent weeks, how do we get back to... To creating, you know, that, that number of chances because in recent weeks we, we've been poor, you know, against Palace and, and Brighton in terms of chances created. 22 uh, to West Ham's 12, 11 on target to West Ham's, West Ham's 5. And I mean, Paul, was it, was it just simply a case of, you know, as I said, I don't think it was a bad performance, simply a case of the fact that when we get into the, those positions in the around the area, in the box, we, we just haven't got the composure the quality, the confidence maybe to put the ball in the back of the net. 
that's exactly my thing. I think it is. I think it's. I think they're they're, they're too scared to miss. I think there's such a big thing on on us on us not scoring goals. Um, but I think that say so you said the reaction to it. I think I think I think a lot of the a lot of the podcasts and a lot of the things that are, they, they in this in this world we're in now. You know, Twitter is 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 a cesspit completely and utterly. And this knee-jerk reaction where or people almost want to get their words in first. And the problem with that is that everything's just so raw and everything's so ah, oh, jeez, I can't believe it. you're so deflated after the match that sometimes you need to just have a bit of a breath and a bit of a step back from things and have a look at where we are. And the thing, you, the, the the main thing for me about this is that, that you know I'd be so much more worried if we weren't creating those chances. And that's what we've been like for the last few years. You know, we've been thinking where are the goals going to come from, but that's because we literally haven't been creating any chances even. Now we're creating the chances and we're not putting them away. And I think. If you look at um, the, the the goal yesterday, the, the lift it gave everybody. Dwight McNeil suddenly started running at players, and he hadn't, he hasn't done that for for games. You know, I know he's had problems off off field with his misses and stuff like that. And I think he's he's one that certainly looks like he could do with a rest and could do with a break, just mentally and physically and all with it. But just that goal, getting that goal and getting that, getting ahead yesterday seemed to really. You know, Beto seems to just grow another few inches, and and uh, you know, I say McNeil they started running at things, and it, and it, and for those five or ten minutes after we scored, I thought we looked all right, and then of course as soon as they they equalise, that sort of nervousness come back again, and and as you say, I think it is a confidence thing. I think it is the thing. I mean, Beto looked confident enough taking the penalty. He did. Um, you know, he was ready because obviously the refs doing the how the hell it, it went to VAR. I've got no idea. And in the park end, and it was you know clear penalty. Uh, why it even went that far, I've got no idea. The Lino didn't seem to spot it either. Um, but, um, you know, Beto was standing there waiting with the ball on the spot for ages beforehand. Um, but as soon as I saw his run-up, I thought it's an odd run-up, that dead straight, didn't seem to be that far back. And then doing that little jump to the side, I don't know, it, it, he looked confident enough before he took it. But when he took it, I don't think it was a great penalty. I don't think it was an, a, as, as bad as some people were saying, but... You know, um, you know, the keeper guesses right. That's it. It's a save, isn't it? And then, of course, you know, it drops again. Beto's head went down a little bit. I thought with that, but I thought second half he came out much better. I thought he'd obviously given them, you know, given them the pep talk to say, you know, you're still doing the right things. We're still getting in into spaces. Beto should have scored before that anyway. You know, the the one on one with the keeper. You know, that he's got loads to aim at there. And again, just that bit of composure that you need sometimes to to to, to blam it away and I think sometimes you know you look at the Anana one as well the, you know the, the shot of the, the, the towards the end of the match like from 25 yards we just seem to panic in those situations and just say oh I've got to shoot I've got to shoot and you, you just need to calm it down a little bit and just sort of have a look what you've got around you've got other options around you and things like that so yeah I mean hopefully that'll that'll come but you know it's another game gone this, you know the, the games are running out really, and we do need to start getting them because coming back to what Lee's saying before about this, you know, we we're talking about with the uncertainty of things. We've still got, you know, you see people saying, "Oh, these are the games we got left." I think we need this many points, and I think we need that many points. We don't know. It's a that that's that second hearing is still a blank sheet of paper. It's still there's, you know, you can talk about you can talk about oh, you know, precedent and and. You know, the, we've had two. We've been punished for two out of the three years. But none of that matters. The, 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 it is a blank sheet of paper. And what I'm hoping is that the the super silk has done enough. In yeah, we would have liked to get more than four points back, but I'd like to think he set all the groundwork 
to be able to defend that second charge much more rigorously than we did last year. Because remember last year, it was just the club doing that. He wasn't involved in that first bit. And I think, I think you know, this is my own point of view, nothing to do with the fab or anything, but I think he would have found that his hands were a little bit tied by that. I think from a legal point of view, it, it probably would have been more of a case that don't ever admit anything until they, you, you let them prove it. Don't admit it. Don't hold your hands up and say you've done it. Still, you should still be going in there and saying, we still th- don't think we've done anything wrong. You think we haven't, then you then you prove it and leave that with the commission for them to actually come out with it. If they come back and say, well, well, actually we did think of that. But before that, we'd already held our hands up. And I think that was probably a mistake. I say I'm not a legal expert or anything like that, but I think that seems to have tied tied the super silks hands a little bit in the fact that we'd already done that so obviously he's played a bit of a blinder at the appeal i think and i'm hoping that it'll stand us instead for the second one as well and he's set enough because obviously the report was a lot longer as well as a 90 page report as opposed to a uh, or 60 pages instead of 40 pages wasn't it and, and and it's it's got more more in depth and it talks about obviously what they did wrong and things like that hopefully that's enough for us to uh you know to work on that's bloody hope so mate that's bloody hope so i mean Go, going back to the uh, on-field thing, it'd be interesting to see what your guys' opinions are on, on Dice making a big call, dropping uh, Calvert-Lewin and bringing uh, Beto in the team yesterday. That was a big shout from him. None of us really expected it. I think um, I think we'd all agree that Dom is a better footballer, no doubt about that. All-round game is better than Beto's. But what Beto gives I said to you boys after the game, didn't I? He, he creates so much uncertainty um, and he's looking to get him behind. I think we will definitely have more chances with him playing up front than necessarily we do with Dom. Dom's a lot better with his back to goal. We can play off him more. He's better in the air, you know, in terms of winning flick-ons, etc. You know, his hold-up play in general is pretty good. But if you look at Beto, even that first chance in the first half, if you watch his movement closely there, the balls get pinged into McNeil. McNeil's in the in a really good position in that sort of number 10 spot. If you watch Beto's movement there, really subtle movement pulling off Zuma, just pulls off him only a fraction, and that allows that you know opens up the pass for, for McNeil to slide him in. That that bit of, bit of movement is is what I call a proper number nine, a proper striker's movement. I don't think you'd see Dom making necessarily that sort of movement, and you know he, he, it allows him the space. The pass is perfect, and he just doesn't quite get his shot right, does he? I mean, it's almost a pass back to the keeper, really. He's, he's kind of right trying to go across him, but he, he, you know he didn't he didn't get it right at all. But if you look at him, you know I made the comparison to you boys after the game, didn't I? You know, it's, I'm not saying it's completely accurate, but he's the type of striker that a bit like Darwin Nunes. He's going to need four or five to get one. You know what I mean? He's not like Harry Kane or Son where he needs two to get one. Or even when we had Richarlison, Richarlison maybe needs three to get a goal. Do you know what I mean? Whereas whereas at the moment, Beto's the type of guy where I think we will create chances with him just because of the way he plays. And I don't think defenders know what he's doing, never mind himself. You know what I mean? So, and, and there's an argument to make as well, that the goal he scored is probably the harder chance yeah. you know, of, of, of all the chances. I mean, that's a, I mean, I think he semi-shouldered it, but still, he pulls off the defender. And that, that cross by James Garner, by the way, I mean, it's, 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 it's Beckham-esque, that. I mean, absolutely whips it. You can see it. He really put a lot of whip and bend on it. And defend it's undefendable that, and you know, and it's a hell of a finish. And like you said, Paul, you know, he, he grew he grew a bit. Then you could sell it like I'm I'm, I'm going to get another goal in. And unfortunately, then you know, not long after, he comes off, didn't he? And you know, Dice has said you know he, he didn't have the legs to play a full ninety, but 
it's a really tricky one, that. A really tricky one. I don't know what you think. But, I mean, it's an interesting call that he's played Beto there. He's got a goal. You know, is there an argument to say Beto gets to run a game now, five or six games? I think, I think he's got to, hasn't he? I think, I think when, you, when you get your chance, you take your chance. And, and you know, I know we missed a penalty. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't a great pen. Like you said, Paul, it wasn't the worst pen. But it's a, it's a decent height, not right in the corner. So the keeper goes the right way. Like he's, he's going to save it. He goes the wrong way. I'm not even sure about it, are we? We saw that that was a good pen. He was sent him the wrong way. But, you know, he had, he had the chance before. You say, obviously, he's got his goal. He had the second one where he's hit the edge of the box. It's looped, hasn't it? As if it was going to go over the keeper. The keeper's palmed it away. He put another one wide in the first half as well. I think the, th- the thing with him is we, we know. We know he's unorthodox and we know. He's, you know, he's legs everywhere, but he's a big, strong unit. And as I say, when you come in, take your chance. He scored the goal. And I, I love Dominic Calvert-Lewin. You know, technically, he's a better player than Beto. But if Beto's come, you know, is starting a game and scoring a goal, then he starts the next game. It, it, for me, it, it's as easy as that. Um, so I do think he'll start against Manchester United. But outside of that, you know, you look at the chances we created, Pete and... I mean, we we obviously walked back to the car after the game. We we went through a whole host of chances. How many times? You know, they were raving over the goalkeeper saying that how oh, you know we got this nine point something rating on on who scored and what have you. For me, every single save he's made is basic. It's easy. It's not it's not as if we put the ball right in the corner for any one of them. You know, every single one that we've we've had and, and he's palmed away of being a good height. I'm fairly comfortable. You know, Dwight McNeil, great chance from three or four yards out after good work from Harrison, puts it right at the goalkeeper and, and he catches it. You know, as I say, the one from Beto, it was he made it look more difficult than it actually was. There was other chances that he's that he's palmed away than the one from McNeil, good height. We seem to get like a set of Paul earlier. When we get in and around the box and we, you know, we're creating chances, the composure just isn't there. And it's more a case of just get the ball on target and see what happens rather than instinct, not thinking about it and putting the ball in the back of the net. Definitely. And, it, you know, you don't want to be too critical of your own players, do you? But, I mean, the one in the first half where McNeil slips Beto through, that's that's a striker's bread and butter, isn't it? And, you know, I think every, every football fan or everyone that's been coached in playing football will, will look at that chance and think you just slot it across the keeper. And again, it, it's like he's he's kind of lashed at it or scuffed it. Easy save. Uh, the one where, um, again, McNeil, great play, slips Harrison through. Could have took it first time on his right foot across the keeper. Stops it, put, puts his foot on it, takes the pace off it. And then when he knocks it across to McNeil, it, it's, a, it's an awkward height. It's kind of almost like hip height, isn't it? And he's got to kind of try and get across, uh, get, get across the top of the ball. Very little pace on it, easy save. And if you look at Beto, Beto's kind of on the swivel, I think, ready to uh, to put his foot through it. So, you know, if, if, if McNeil leaves that and sees Beto, is it a goal? But I, I think the wider point is we're creating enough to score more goals. And I, I, I thought Sean Dyche's comments were spot on. If you look at the, the quality that we've got, you know, we've got some very good technical footballers, you know, like McNeil, James Garner, Harrison. They're, they're technically very, very good players. But for me, not only are we not scoring enough, but I don't think a lot of our attacking play is good enough in terms of, you know, the final pass or or the crosses. It's interesting. The goal came from a, a wonderful cross from James Garner. Um, 
because I, I don't feel like the, the crosses that we get from our wide players, particularly when we go with McNeil and with Harrison, are good enough for Calvert-Lewin and Beto. It's like if, if the goal doesn't come from a set piece or it doesn't come from a counter-attack where we've got lot, lots of space and we're able to, to you know, to move a defence of two or three players around rather than two banks of four. It's like, where's the goal coming from? Because there's just not enough quality from uh, from our crosses. And again, Godfrey Mikalenko, very strong defenders, but not attacking footballers, not attacking fullbacks. So, you know, is there a bit of a wider problem here? And are we are we doing the best that we can with, you know, the kind of the, the limited squad and the limited system we've got? But we are looking quite one-dimensional, I think, at times. Um, and I think there's a lot of pressure on you know, the likes of Beto or Calvert-Lewin. We think about it now in, foot, in footy, a lot of creativity comes from fullbacks, isn't it? A lot of teams now have very creative fullbacks. Some are blessed with more than others. We've been blessed with some of the best fullbacks in recent years, certainly at left-back. You know, you know, Lucas Dean and, 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 and Leighton Bain certainly were some of the most creative fullbacks in the Premier League. Do you know what I mean? And you saw Lucas Dean at Villa now, sadly. He comes up with a hell of a header in the last minute. Good result for us, by the way. You know, a hell of a header comes up with a goal. I think in certain games, as well as Godfrey's played since he's come in, he's looked solid. He hasn't been beaten very easily at right back. There's certain games where he's, he's got to be he's got to be thinking, well, look, shall I play Coleman or Patterson here? Certainly the Palace game. The Pal- Palace had a, have a lot less weapons to hurt us with, particularly with Eze and Elise out. You know, and he could have, you know, the fact he went down the right-hand side of, of Godfrey and Ashley Young in that game, that, that that's where you start after asking a few questions because, you know, they're both defensive-minded players, aren't they? You know, why why are they basically occupying our right, right-hand side? Mikolenko, who was, I, I was one of his biggest critics, has come on leaps and bounds. But let's be honest, he's still nowhere near a Luca Dean or a Leighton Baines in, in, in the final third, is he? You know, and, and, and that's no detriment to him. I think he's improved massively and he very rarely gets skinned as a defender. He's one of the best fullbacks in the league. But if you look at it, you're right, Pete. I mean, how many are we creating from our wide? You said Paul there before, McNeil probably needs a bit of time. I agree. You know, the sooner Dan Juma comes back, you'd probably, you'd, you'd probably find him getting a few more minutes. But, but yeah, it's, it's one of those, isn't it? But I do think at fullback, he's got to be selective in certain games who he chooses because Coleman's fit now. Patterson hasn't done too much wrong. Yes, he's a bit more of a liability defensively, but he offers a bit more going the other way, doesn't he? Yeah, it's difficult to... I think it is a restriction. The restrictions of the, of the squad do come to the fore, I think. When you've got Beto and Calvert-Lewin that are clearly very good in the air, you know, Calvert-Lewin in particular, I think, you know, if you look at the, the number of long balls that he won in the game, I think it was against Palace, but... Um, you know, and you're right, it's the, it's the area the crosses are coming in from. Now, yesterday, Garner's crossed from fairly deep, and it's been a great cross. Generally, though, we're crossing from that area, and, and they're just not getting they're just not getting goal-scoring chances out of them. You need to be getting to the byline. And what we're doing is, if we ever get to the byline with Harrison or McNeil or Mikolenko or whoever it is, we're generally playing for corners a lot of the time. We're trying to play it off a defender to get a corner rather than whipping across him because we actually think we stand a better chance of scoring from a corner than we do of whipping across him, which is, you know, when you, as I say, when you've got Calvert-Lewin and Beto in there, and again, you, we've all seen, you know the big tactic when it's set pieces, you know, Tarky's always over the back, you're always trying to hit Tarky and he's going to try and hit it back into the middle and and teams are going to get wise to that and the same, as I said, you know, I think there was two on Tarkowski most, most, of the, most of the corners yesterday. So, I think, I think you're right, but 
you have to take into account the limitations of this squad, you know, and the, and the limitations of what we've got. Um, we do need those overlaps going down the side. Mikolenko, I think, is actually probably, a, might, might be a bit controversial, he's probably a little bit of a better defender than Leighton Baines was. You know, Baines was brilliant going forward, but um, there was a lot of time I remember watching watching Baines and, the, and the, you know, the, a lot of crosses used to come in from that side. He, didn't, he wasn't really good at cutting crosses out. Whereas Mikolenko is, as I mean, to say he has come on leaps and bounds when he had a bit of a wobbly, a wobbly time of it. But... As you say, we lose that attacking forward, and I think um, uh, that if you ever watch the, the the Dice Masterclass and that lot, he has that thing about the sides of the pitch. He likes to concentrate on what you know. He won't he won't generally be going. Oh, we'll switch, switch. We'll go that side, that that. It'll be like yeah, we'll stick on this side for a bit, and that'll be your concentration, and we'll we'll go down that. And that tends to be more the left. So I think he's willing to just leave the likes of Godfrey, which leaves Harrison exposed. I think I don't think Harrison's what really what we need. He's a dice type player. He's a hard worker. Um, but the, the end product from him is, is lacking the decision making and the thing he's, 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 he's clearly very tenacious he's clearly got a good engine on him he'll, he'll run and run and run but I think it's that sort of calmness like you say that, that there Pete the, the, yesterday for me it shouldn't have even got to McNeil Harrison should have been shooting from that for me he was, he's, he's a ways clear he's got a shot on goal and he's got a decent dig on him when he hits it so he, he should have been hitting that for me and then once you cut, cut it back and that sort of thing as you say I think McNeil should do better with it, maybe, but for me, I, I think he, may, he might have even be surprised he's getting it because he's expecting his way of having the shot from it, you know. So, and I think that comes into that, just that lack of confidence and that, and that almost that you're too scared to miss rather than you are, you know, keen to score, if you know what I mean. And and that's something that that, that you know that Dykes has got to work with, but you know. <laughs> I, 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 again, we've got all the reactions to get, again, get rid of Dice's crap and all that. And honest to God, I think it's mental. I think it's absolutely crazy. You know, I know people say that it's you know you're relying on that ten points too much and you're giving him too much benefit of the doubt with that. We've still got those points. We've still got you know from the games we played, we have got X amount of points from those games. You know. And and for me, I, I think he's you know I, I think he's getting a bit of a harsh ride of it. It's not just him. You know, players have to take responsibility. Thelwell does. Everyone does. The, the finances are where they are. We are where we are because of the whole club, not just because of Sean Dyche. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, I think I think the, obviously the reaction post-match was very, obviously, negative. Understandably, we, we always say all the time about that, the raw emotion post-matching. Um, you know, what, what it leads to straight away in terms of comments and things, you know, things like that. And I'd like, I said it yesterday, and I said it again this morning, so it's to the lads. Sean Dice can't put the ball back on the net. He can't do that. We created chance after chance after chance. And and to be fair, I think his comments post-match were spot on. People have got to start to take responsibility because I'm sick and tired of, of saying to you, oh, yeah, well, the XG was this and we created chances and you know we were unlucky there. He said at some point, us, the coaching staff, the players, have got to put their hands up and take responsibility. And put the ball in the back of the nest. It, it's a, it's as simple as that. Football's a very simple game, isn't it? You know, when when you when you're creating the chances that we did yesterday, even, take the penalty out of the equation. The big chances that we missed, I think we had four big chances. It might have even been five. One will be the penalty, and we scored one goal. And th- these aren't chances that are difficult. These are chances which you should be sticking in the back of the net. And I think the the fact that we're so safe in our approach, and I mean. We, we we watch the shoot, don't we? Pete every every week before the game, you know, when the and I was saying, oh, I would put every, every every shot we have goes in the back of the net, unless it was Onana. He he was hitting people in the Gladstone from about uh, ten yards out, but so the corner with his left foot going across the keeper, putting in the bottom corner, so, you know, fantastic McNeil, everything he hit was going in. James Garner, Beto, and he just think, and then we get we get onto the pitch and we try and replicate that. And we almost change what the, the, the relaxation goes, I think, and they get tight. And it's it's such a bizarre thing when we've had so many games this season, and we go back to the start of the season all the time. You, you look at the the Fulham game and the the Wolves game and the Luton game. Chance, you know, over 20, 20 shots, I think, in all those games, missing big, big chances, and it's been a recurring theme all season. And it's got to come a time, and time's getting on. Matches are, you know, the 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 coming and going now very very quickly. We've got to get points on the board, and. There's got to come a time when the ball goes in the back of the net and players stop thinking about sort of the ramifications of missing almost and try and play off instinct. And the fact we haven't got a penalty taker, I think, is a big thing as well. Yesterday, when we won a penalty, did anyone have any idea he was going to take it? Because no. I say that I'm, well, I'm sitting there. I'm looking we, had the convers- we had the conversation. We had that, that exact conversation. Yeah. As soon as it looked like it was going to get given, it was like... Well, who the hell's going to actually take it? And then yeah. say, saw Beto was sort of walking up to take it. And also the comment was made from the lad next to me. Is that Calvert, when he once he's missed it, Calvert-Lewin must be sitting on the bench thinking, Jesus Christ, it's a typical. Yeah. We get a penalty when I'm not on the bloody park, you know, and he must be absolutely gutted about that. I think just coming back to to, to Calvert-Lewin and, 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 and Beto, um, I think Beto said at the beginning, when he first signed at the beginning of the first interview that he gave, he said, I'm not a prolific striker. He said, I'm not going to score you hatfuls of goals. He literally said that. He 
said, you know, I hope I'll always try my best. I always try to bring others into play, and hopefully, I can bring more goals to the team. Some that I score, but also in setting up. He did, you know, he has said straight up front, he's not a prolific scorer. But I think for me, the, the first cup game that he played in in that lot, he looked great. He looked like re- you know really up for it, and then. As he's been sort of coming on in bit parts and that sort of thing, he looks, or he has looked, as if he hasn't really got still still to the pace of the Premier League. He's got that sort of more of a, a, a slow sort of languorous sort of look to him. And then when he gets when he gets his head down, he's got such a big stride that he covers the ground really quickly. So I don't think he's I don't think he's massively fast. It's just that he's so lanky and 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 you know fast across the ground that he does make up those sort of things when he actually gets his head down and do it. So. I think it's it is a, a case with him as you know the more minutes he gets you'd hope that he would he would improve and that he would get you know the more chances he gets I think he will stick him and get away and, and as you say Lee he, he, sometimes he doesn't like he he knows what's going to happen next the same as everyone else and, and and that's that's sometimes a benefit with with players isn't it when the uh, it's the unpredictability of it works to your advantage in that but um, with Calvert Lewin obviously that you know that every time oh it's twenty games eighteen games it's nineteen games it's twenty games for me. I think it's maybe, is it four or five games now that he hasn't scored? Because that that's his goal against Tottenham. It brushes Harrison on the way in, but that's his goal. And that, to me, that number then becomes four and three. And it, 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 it's such a weight off a striker's mind when, oh, 20-goal thing, 19-goal, that, that adding up all the time. He's also had the one away at Tottenham chalked off for the you know for the ridiculous VAR with Gomez foul and whatever. So so I think it's it's one of them things that's just like literally just the the, the, the breadth of a shirt. If that doesn't brush Harrison on the way in, that Calvert Lewin's back to zero again, zero games he's not scored in, and I think that takes a hell of a lot of weight off a striker. Those those numbers people make such a such a, such a fuss about them, but you know it, that's that's the that's the world we're in, isn't it? You know you've got to you've got to get the goals. So yeah, yeah it's, it's it's so mad now, isn't it? With with regards to stats and everything, you are right. I mean, you know, what's been thrown at Dyche now is obviously the winless run, you know. But in 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 that in that time, the only games we've actually lost was was two games to City, which let's be honest, as they showed against United today, are just a ridiculous level above everybody else. Let's be honest, they are now De Bruyne's back. They're a ridiculous side, and let's we played well in that game as well against. We totally yeah. Well, it was De Bruyne that changed it. De Bruyne, De Bruyne yeah, came yeah, on yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, that was yeah. it. We were like, ah, shit. We couldn't, didn't cope with him very well, but yeah, we did really well. He's a world-class player, and he's a world... Yeah. So you've got, you know, those games... The result against Spurs, like you said, where it was, let's be honest, very harsh. You know, the goal that was was chalked off. And even in that game against Spurs, if you were to speak to Postel Cogley, we were probably, in the, certainly in the second half, by far the better side. So we're lucky not to get a result there. The only game you would, you would throw at Everton there was, was the Wolves game. Which, let's be fair, that was the end of the Christmas period where we were absolutely on our arse. Where you know we we, had, we hadn't had the luxury of being able to change and rest players, so therefore that was the, that was one game too far for us. And and even Dice came out and said himself, you know, the, the players were literally on their backsides, and that was the only game you'd probably throw at us and say we weren't even we weren't even involved, we weren't we didn't even you know make a mark on them for for ninety minutes. So the rest of them have been draws, and obviously the game yesterday. Now the game yesterday, as, as Pete alluded to there, and you did, Mike. Actually, you know, we didn't, you know, we didn't play that badly. We could have quite easily won that game three-one ourselves. You know, Moyes came out and said himself, "Goes, yeah." To be honest, I think that was pretty harsh on Everton that result. Now, okay, he's got a bit of an affinity with us. You know, th- th- that's fair enough. But anyone who watched that game as a neutral would have thought, you know, how West Ham won that three-one. You know, that that second goal that they'd scored there. 
is is the killer. It's the absolute killer because we look the most likely. You know, you reeled off some chances there, Mike. Let's not forget the one that was kicked off the line as well. Again, you know, probably more than half a ball was over the line. You know, look at Lamptey against Brighton last week. I mean, it's probably the best clearance I've seen all season off the line. You know, sometimes you need that bit of luck. You know what I mean? Those both go in. We're sitting here talking about six points. You know what I mean? So that that that's the margins in football. That really is the margins in football. I'd be a lot more worried, literally a lot more worried right now, if we were having three, four shots a game like we did under Allardyce and, and Benitez and, and teams were just coming to us and, and, and just hammering us. But we're not. So the key bit for Dice for me now is to try and keep these players motivated, saying, look, lads, the win's coming here. Because if you carry on playing like that, you'll win more games than you lose. Yeah, I think he's got it. You know, he's got to cling on to, cling on to that particular message, hasn't he? You know, and, and we've seen we've seen enough in, you know, in this run to to show that we should be winning and we can win games of football against you know decent sides. We've had a few good results. We we were minutes away from beating Brighton away from home. You know, a side who've been unbeaten for a long, long time at the home ground, and we were minutes away from stoppage time. And you know, if if that goes wide, Pickford saves it. We're talking about a fantastic Everton win. And you know, Dice got got a lot of uh, lot of stick last week for his setup against Brighton. But we come away and probably say it's it's a it's a typical Dice masterclass in terms of away from home, a one nil win, and you know we're a fantastic three points against West Ham. We win in the game, obviously they, they get us back to one all. We were a better side up until what a stoppage time second goal, which which was again. I mean, we've got to do better closing them down, of course. It's a fantastic finish, but we've got to do better ourselves. And the third, you know, when you, you chase an equaliser, you, you can almost cancel that one out because it doesn't really matter anyway because we're trying to get an equaliser. So whether it's 2-1 or 3-1, you know, the, the, the game's gone. Um, but there's been there's been positives within the negatives and within the, the performances that we've had. The West Ham game, it was absolutely soul-destroying because it's a game that we were on top for so so long, the difference was the fact that they had they had match winners in their side. When you've got the likes of Kudus and you've got Pakatar and you've got the likes of Bowen, you know, fantastic individual players who can who can carry the ball, who can who can pick a pass, who can turn the defence quickly. I've got pace, you know, they can they can change a game, and that's the difference. If that was Crystal Palace without obviously their key players when they came on that Monday night and we played that way, we win the game, no problem at all. And this is what we're talking about, the impact of the, the whole appeal scenario, the fact it took so long and how it impacted how we, how we set up and how we played. I think, you know, Pete said it wasn't too different and it wasn't too dissimilar. It was almost Everton of maybe a few months ago in terms of the chances that we were creating. But the thing is, we, we've got to be better when we're in and around the box. And that's the real frustrating thing is the fact that we, had, we created so many good chances and we weren't bold enough or confident enough to put the ball in the back of the net. Because if we go 2-0 up, if we, if we score the penalty and Beto gets his second, it's game over. It is game over at that particular point. And Sean Dice said, if you know, in the Premier League, if you lead by two goals, it's very rare you see a side come back and, and get anything from the game. So it's frustrating. And no one was more frustrated than me when that when that second West Ham goal went in. No one was more frustrated than me. And it, it's, it's one of those where we've got a knuckle down and never mind looking, you know, forward at, you know, Sheffield United coming to, you know, and, and Forest and Brentford and those kind of games. It's the next game. No reason why we can't go to United and get something from the game, in my opinion, you know, because we've got to think that way and we've played well away from home 
recently against against good sides, Brighton being being the main one. We've gone there and done and done well. Um, and the players have just got to now try and put that to bed and 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 look and look and, and focus on the next game. And obviously, the, 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 we've got a we've got a three week break post Man United because obviously the out of the FA Cup, the derby's being cancelled, hasn't it? Because they're in the in the to the quarter final. So that United game is a good a good game to finish on and then go away for you know a little bit of uh, rest and recuperation before we then really hit the running because obviously we've got I think it's it's a Bournemouth straight after. Newcastle. Um, so the, our next three games are all away, so we, we've got a, a bit of a break, and, and it's it's a good point to sort of draw a line and go right, okay, assess where we are, and then go for the final couple of months of the season. But that obviously United have played today, Pete, and fantastic goal from Rashford to give them the one nil one nil lead, and they, they led for quite a while, didn't they? But they're a funny side, Man United, aren't they? Because they they, they came to Goodison, uh, the the game immediately after. The ten point deduction wasn't it? If, if uh, memory serves me correctly, Garnacho scored inside the first two or three minutes, the, the best goal he ever scored in his life, and could never do it again. Obviously, that was always going to happen. Um, but aside that, still suffer from massive inconsistencies. You've seen sides recently go to go to Old Trafford and beat them. The likes of your Bournemouth is, is, is probably a real a real prime example. Crystal Palace went there, pretty sure, and won the uh, Fulham. A couple of weeks ago, they went there and won. They do lose quite a few games at home under this manager and with this current side. So, even given the fact that he's not won a game since the middle of December, do you go there with a bit of hope that we can get something from the game, if not even get all three points? Definitely, definitely. And and you almost, you almost think like I was I was saying earlier, the way United play, you know, particularly at home, is likely to suit us more. It's likely to play more into our hands, isn't it? In terms of allowing us to to play to our strengths, allowing us to counter attack. I mean, when they came to Goodison, like like you say, they got the that that early wonder goal, um, and then you know an incredibly fortunate penalty, I think. But we were we were the better team, and and you know it's easy to say, isn't it, in in hindsight? But for me, if 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 they didn't get that early goal, I think we would have gone on and and won the game, because um, I, I thought we were the better team then. And yeah, you know, I, I think Bournemouth probably offer the, the the right template really in that they 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 went they were highly organized they played on the counter-attack and they cut them to shreds united didn't turn up united didn't know how to deal with them but they do always seem to have a habit of of turning up against everton don't they um so it's you know it, it, it it's one of them but I, I think if we can get get the first goal hopefully get back to that amazing run we had that amazing record of Whenever we went in front, being incredibly difficult to to get any points back from, um, and I, I think Old Trafford, I, and this is probably the only time I'll, I'll compare United to Everton. I, I think can be a bit similar to Goodison Park in that if you make those fans quiet and you make them those fans angry and start to complain, Old Trafford now becomes a very very difficult place for Manchester United to play. I think, and I think the Fulham game and the Bournemouth game. Are great examples of that, you know, the the, the prom sandwich brigade start throwing the toys out the pram, don't they? United is uh, Old Trafford isn't the fortress that it used to be. You know, Fergie time is is long gone. It's it's not it's not that kind of proposition anymore. Um, so I'm really hopeful. I mean, any points that we we come away from Old Trafford with are, are good points, but in in a weird way, I, I look at that game and I almost feel more confident about us getting a, a win from it than probably I did, I did against West Ham or Palace because 
you know that they're going to come to Goodison and, and make the game very, very difficult for us. Whereas I, I think it's almost a bit of a free hit, isn't it, going to United away? I think the big difference to United, you saw an upturn in form when Hoyland started finding the back of the net. He's, he found a purple patch. I think he scored seven and seven before he got the injury. And and, and he completely transformed their side. I think he's always looked at talent. He's obviously adjusting to the league as well. He's got bags of pace. I think there's a real player there if they can get him going. And he showed it in glimpses. You know, all of a sudden, you know, you, guess what? You find someone who's putting a ball in the net regularly. Guess what? You start winning football matches. You know, you, you mentioned Fulham there before, Pete. Look look at this. Look at the difference that Muniz has made since he's come in the team. You know, he's come in the team. He, 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 you know, Fulham are not too dissimilar side to us. You know, very organised, have some, you know, deep talent in certain areas of the pitch. But Fulham have always found it difficult to score goals. Now, all of a sudden, they've got a striker in there who's finding the back of the net regularly. And all of a sudden, they will start winning games. So the same can be true of United. And, you know, they've suddenly found it difficult since they lost Hoyland. Um, you know, they, they, their purple patch has sort of come to an end. And look, City have actually destroyed them today. And they can do that to anyone, as, as, as we know. But I think if, if providing Hoyland's not back in that game, you know, they've got some other key players out of the back as well. I, 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 I fancy us to get a result. Um, we are due one at Old Trafford. Um, let's be honest; it's been it's been it's been long overdue. I was there when Oviedo scored, and 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 yeah, that that was unbelievable because United back then were a were a far you know a far different side, certainly the ones before that. Um, so it'd be interesting to see, like you said, Mike, it's, it's a long break, isn't it, for the next game? So we do need to try and get something from it. Yes, we have pulled away a little bit from the, with with the points coming back, and results have gone our way on the whole over the weekend, but. You know, we just need to get a couple more wins. A couple more wins just makes everyone feel a bit more relaxed, makes the players feel more more relaxed, makes the fans feel more relaxed. You know, and and if we do end up getting, you know, if a points deduction, then it's it's you know it's not as onerous on us as it would be if we stay on the same points as we are now. Because if we get a six point hit again, we're right back in it. We're right back in it again. So you know, if we can get someone at United, and I feel we definitely can. Um, you know, but again, a lot of it for me depends on, on on whether this young lad is fit up front. Yeah, I mean, they've got currently eight players listed as as being injured as of obviously this weekend. The, the big one, the big one for us. Never never mind Hoyland. It's whether uh, Martial makes the game because you know what happens when he plays against Everton. He only scores one goal this season. That's always against us. So looking looking at this currently, it should be a game too soon. But I know he is back in training, so don't be surprised if if Lazarus rises and and he and he gets uh, on the pitch. Um, but they have they have got quite a few a few injuries there. But they've still got players that can hurt you. You know, you, you see Rashford's goal today. What a fantastic strike that that was. Um, you obviously Fernandez. He, he's horrible, but he, he's a player. He's a player full of quality. Um, they've got a few issues at the back with Luke Shaw being out, Harry Maguire potentially could be back for the game, which might be a positive for Everton more, more than anything else. Who knows? Um, but it's as much as Old Safford isn't the Old Safford as it, as it used to be under under Alex Ferguson, it's still you know, a difficult place to go, poor really, isn't it? You know, we, we, we certainly, it's not a game that you go there and Everton will be fancy to take anything from. Obviously, current form will dictate as well. Um, but it's it's going to be a, obviously a, a difficult a difficult sip. It's the, it's the half 12 game on a, on a Saturday as well, first game. First game of the weekend, but it's a chance. I mean, th- this weekend was a chance. You know, if, if we would have won, beaten West Ham, we're eight points clear, and it, yeah. it puts the pressure on the sides around us. Now, luckily, you know, Luton, Luton got beat, Burnley got beat, 
know Brentford nicked, nicked the points. Forest got beat, obviously, by Liverpool with that late goal. Sides all, all dropping points. We didn't take our chance to go further clear again. But we've got a chance to sort of stake a claim and, and, and put put a marker down at the start of the weekend before other sides play and say, oh, yeah, everything's going to control traffic and won a game of football and pulled away. Now, that can put real pressure on sides around us, that can't it? Yeah, I think it can. And I say, I think that maybe it, it might work for our advantage, not not being at Goodison. We're there for a month now, are we? At the, we're in the next game back at Goodison, so it it might it might relax the players a little bit. It might be that that pressure might need might be there. As you say it's a bit of a free hit, um, and then and then hopefully that break. And it's a, for most of it's really about, as I say, that it's for me it's the mental the mental strength and that sort of thing. I think. As I said, we mentioned a few players that we think we could do with a bit of a, a bit of a break. Um, I think McNeil certainly won. I think Garner is just running his stripes out. I mean, he's you know he, he he's not the finished article yet whatsoever. But I think he gets he gets missed out quite a bit when people are sort of talking about Thelwell. They're pointing at uh, a lot of players and this sort of thing. But Garner's been a good signing for us. I think he's a, you know he's definitely the sort of player we should be looking at getting in. So you know someone that's that you know not playing regularly at their club, got a future ahead of him and stuff like that. He, you know he, he seems like a good. Um, a good lad, but I say it just seems that they're, they're playing an awful lot of football. Um, hopefully, Decore as well will start getting a little bit more, you know, match fit. He looked very rusty the first game he was back, but looked a little bit yesterday, better yesterday. And again, um, I think after the goal, you saw him doing that chasing and harrying a lot faster and a lot quicker than what he'd been doing up until that point, even yesterday and in the first game he came back. And that's that's been such a big point of ours, I think, that that fast closing down when we do that press right the way across the pitch that really works for us and as I say the way that United play hopefully that will uh, that will play into our hands for that thing because I think you know Dykes isn't going to change that 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 tactic of, uh, at all you know we're better out of possession clearly um, with the squad that he's got so you know as I say hopefully um, by the time we get back to Goodison we've got a few more points on the board and, and you know the teams around us and we've started moving up the table a bit and just getting that little bit of security of just moving away, even if it's bit by bit moving away from that that zone. Because I do think, you know, say this second charge hanging over us, we need to get a buffer. We need to get something to make sure that even if we do get, you know, they go stupid again and give us another six points. Because the thing with that is that that we talked before about the time scales of things and that. The time scales, you know, as I say, it could, it could go to the end of the season. But that's only if we appeal. If it ends up that we get, a, you know, let's say two points, for example, I don't think the club will appeal that. I think the club will just go, well, there you go. Yeah, we'll have that. And that way we're done and dusted then and we can finish off the rest of the season. And I think um, there, was, there, was, there was talk as well about, you know, saying, well, the, the 10 points shouldn't have been taken off until the appeal has, has heard and stuff like that. And, it, you know, it should be. But the club, I, I believe that the, the situation was that the, the, the Premier League gave them the choice and the club said, no, well, we'll take them because... We don't want a false position. If we've been docked ten points, take them off now, and we know what we've got to got to fight then. And I think that's a, that's a, probably the best way to look at it. So there's still a lot of unknowns um, with things going forwards. But you know, I think as I said before, I think the fact that Burnley and Sheffield United are, are just so poor and so adrift of things that that gives us a you know a massive chance to get an out of it. It's not going to be easy. You know, we're, we're going to be you know we're going to be there and thereabouts, but. I would hope by the time we get back to Goodison, there's a little bit more daylight. I think that points around, obviously, if the second charge brings about a couple of points deduction and everything, just go listen. And I'm sure the minds will be quite keen to say, listen, ju- just go go with us so we know exactly where we are. Our points then can't change. So if it's two points, the other two points off, 
we know at the end of the season these are the points that we've got and and that's potential that that's probably the best way to go about it could be different for forest we don't know you know we just don't know we assume a points deduction yeah. if 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 the, the previous independence uh panel said that that's the only road that they can go down in regards to punishment yeah. then you would assume some kind of points deduction is coming coming far as way which is which is obviously good for us but the whole season, as I said, is, is a total fiasco for a lot of clubs. Yeah, it is. And, I think that it, the, what what we what we've tried to do um, um, as a, as a fab um, is to basically try and point this out that this is a football issue. It's not an Everton issue. The fact that there are these guidelines are not in place and that this 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 whole situation is not fit for purpose is not just an Everton issue. It's going to affect other clubs as well. So that that has to be taken into account and that's you know that's something that we will still be arguing for and we've been in touch with the forest uh, you know our, our equivalents at forest we've started reaching out to other fabs and that um across the you know across the country to try to just basically just talk about these things and try to get these things put into place because it, it really is the fact that i say as as you know as well as you can you can say that that appeal went we are still completely in the dark about that second charge it's a complete blank sheet of paper again um and until that's resolved I think personally, taking a step back from all of it, you know, none of us joined the fan advisory board because we thought the club was being run well and that everything's great and shiny in the garden. You know, we know that we have been appallingly mismanaged financially for a long, long time now. So, so I think if you step back from it, you have to look at it as being a lot of this is like chickens coming home to roost. Yeah. And we're not out of the woods yet. So as a fab, we're constantly asking the club questions as to, you know, we asked them after this first charge, we said, are we going to get another one here? Because we know that the overlap, we know it's the three, uh, you know, have we changed our processes so that we are not going to breach again? And we're going to be asking them again, because again, we're still within that three year period for next year. Are we going to get done again? Have we changed everything accounting wise sufficiently so that we don't get done again? And they're the questions that we need to be asking of the club. And I think the focus does turn back on the club a little bit more now. We've all been united against the Premier League. And as, and as a fan advisor, we, we took that decision because we ha- we were like, you know, we're not happy with what with the, the the fact that the club have got us into this situation, but until the appeal's heard and until while that points are still there and that it is it's it's draconian, it's over the top, it's too many points. We had to have that as being the you know we had to the the Premier League is the common en- common enemy, and you've seen the way that the fan base is united around that. Now I think there's a lot more people are looking back towards the club again and just saying, well, is this going to keep happening now? You know, we're we going to keep getting these things. Have you actually changed your your procedures and your accounting so that we're not going to get done by that. And they're the sort of things that we're going to be focused on the fan advisory board now to just make sure that, you know, I think, as I say, this has been a long time coming for me. Now, I've been I've been opposed to to, to the, the previous chairman for 25, 30 years, going back to AGMs in the early 2000s. I've made no secret of that. Um, so for me, this is the chickens coming on to race. And I think if you look at it big picture wise, if we get docked another two points and we get docked eight points, we managed to stay up this season. We managed to stay up next season and we get into Bramley Moor still as a Premier League club and we sort our accounting out. I think we've got away with that fairly lightly given how badly I think things have been run. So let's hope that that's the way it works out big picture-wise, I think. That's I think me there's speaking. a lot of truths in that's that, That's me speaking, lot... not the fab. <laughs> no, 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 that's fair, mate. I think there's a lot of truths there and I think a lot of people will agree with what you said as well. I think it, it's such a sensitive uh, line to walk on that as well, isn't it? Because the last thing, there's one thing holding people to account, and I agree with what you're saying there, because it has been deplorably uh, run. But at the same time, 
you know how toxic things can get very quickly, can't it? And that has a massive impact on the pitch. It's so it's so so sensitive. That line you've got to walk is so you know you you've said it was easy to make it well not easy, but the Premier League was the common common enemy for everyone, and rightly so. We have now got to cast our eyes and look at look at the club. Let's be honest, what's left of the club at the minute in terms of a board is unbelievable as well, where we are now. Yeah. You know, we're talking about this takeover as well. I mean, you know, like you said, that that's the type of things we should be worried about. It likes a triple seven coming in, we're failing with creditors all around the world. You know, that that's an, that's another massive worry, and we're not even talking about it. And the other thing I wanted to mention as well is is you know, you mentioned before, Mike, about Liverpool game now being rearranged. You know, from 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 some some of the people I've 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 heard is that that game now could easily be played in game you know in, in uh, week thirty four, but Liverpool have also got to play Fulham. Now there's noises now coming out from the Premier League, certainly from Sky, who are putting pressure on now to say we want the Fulham game be Liverpool to be in thirty four because we want Liverpool to play Everton in thirty seven, which will be the penultimate game of the season. Which you know if things carry on the way they are could be a game for Sky where Everton could probably play in potentially their last ever top flight game at Goodison could potentially go down and Liverpool could potentially win the league in the same match. You know, if, if, no one's really talking about this. And I, I genuinely think the club, even from a policing uh, perspective, this could never happen. We should not be playing Liverpool rearranged just because Sky want to create a drama show on the, th- you know, the 37th game of the season. That's that could be huge. That the fact that we could be, you know, in a position where we have to win that game to stay up or get get up, you know, some sort of points. Because let's be let's be honest, playing Arsenal away last game of the season is is a hope and a prayer. And then you know, can you imagine Sky cameras being there going Klopp's potential winning game of the league, and then potentially sending Everton down, and you know, to effectively play the last game at Goodison in the top flight. They'll, Sky will be all over that trying to create a drama out of it. So I think we also need to be, you know, as a club, need to be turning around and, de- and speaking to Merseyside Police and saying, we're not having that game played, then we'll play it in 34, thanks. And, and, and that's that's one, obviously, for the club. I'm sure, obviously, Paul's part of the fan advisory board, the fans forum. It's something which has got to be taken up because it certainly can't go to, to, to game week 37 for us. It just, can't, it just can't be a thing. And like you say, there is pressure coming from Sky Sports, especially, who want this, this fairy tale for... For Klopp and things like that, I couldn't give a shit. All I care about is Everton staying in the Premier League. It's it's, it's as simple as that. And and they they're so popular that they that they've conducted for the whole season, by the way, which includes us quite heavily. I've got no time for it, so yeah. it's it's something which has got to be taken up. But let let's just let's finish off if we can. It, it, it's been a it's been a obviously action packed show and, and really enjoyable. We always finish off with our round of predictions for our next game. Paul, as the guest, I'll come to you first. Man United away. What are you saying? I think it will be a 1-1 draw. I'll go with that. Pete? Going to be a hopeless optimist. 1-0 Everton to Corey. <laughs> Lee? We're due one, boys, aren't we? We're due one. We are due one. I'm, I'm going to hope it's another Oviedo moment. Um, and I'm going to say it'll be uh, better with a winner 1-0 with five minutes to go. Just because of, we've been hopeless in recent weeks, I'm going to go four all. Like it was back in the uh, back on the David Moyes, I'm going to go for a four all draw. Goals galore. Everton, Everton, remember how to score in open play, um, and and it'll be a, an entertaining game, hopefully. Uh, but listen, I'll take anything right now. That's for sure from our sister Old Trafford. Uh, but that's was it three all in COVID. Was it three all in COVID? Was yeah, it? yeah. When Dom scored stoppage time, didn't he? 
just, oh, he did, yeah. Minute. And Hammer Ham- Ham- scored that lovely goal, didn't he? Lovely touch and yeah. finish. Our oh, folly, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So those those years didn't happen. That season definitely didn't happen. So yeah. forget all about it. We weren't there to see it. So I, I'm still convinced that it, it didn't happen. Um, By the way, speaking of composure in front of goal, that's how you finish, though. That's what we need right now. Someone who's got a, no, a he, touch yeah, like that. Give him, bang, finish. You know what I mean? Could give him a few lessons, couldn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Been a long time since we've seen that. But that's us for this week. Just a reminder, our competition for this month launched on Friday. It's a Mother's Day competition for two people to win a tour of Goodison Park and afternoon tea on Mother's Day. Uh, so Sunday coming, 10th of March. So get involved with that. Obviously, always free to enter. Um, and that'd be a nice, a nice treat for you, for your mum, your, your your nan, your auntie, your sister, whoever it might be. Be a, be a nice, a nice little afternoon there, Goodison Park. Hopefully after uh, a morale boosting win at Old Trafford the day before. So so get involved with that. Paul, thanks for taking some time on a on a Sunday evening to to come on the show and and discuss obviously all things Everton. No problem. Enjoyed it. I'll definitely come back again sometime. Be good fun. We've got loads to talk about. Fab stuff. I'll talk I'll talk anything about Everton, but we definitely need to talk more about the fab because I think we're we're starting to win over a few hearts and minds uh, you know with with our communications. So thanks very much for inviting us on and yeah, spread the word. We we, we all want to be getting out there and talking a lot more about, about things and about what we're doing because to say there's a lot going on with us. It's bloody hard work. <laughs> I imagine, mate. I imagine, and, and I certainly don't envy the work that you that you do. To be honest with you, uh, but I know you do. You do have a presence uh, of a match day sometimes. Uh, St Luke's Church. I you know you've been there having a couple of times yourself before the game. So people, you know, keep an eye out for the uh, for the adverts on that because you, when when they are in town, and, and Paul's obviously in in St Luke's, you can go over, have a chat, and discuss everything about the what the fan advisory board is all about. Um, so so really really. Uh, Encouraging it to have the fan advisory board so involved, I think, is is, is really really important, especially now with what's going on at the club, what what's been going on, the move to Bramley Moor. There's a lot, there's a lot happening. Um, so so please, when they are next setting up at, at St Luke's Church, go over, have a chat to Paul or whoever's there from the fan advisory board, and 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 uh, see what's what's going on. Uh, but like I say, that's us for this week. Uh, thank you for listening as always, and we will catch you next weekend to look back on that game at Old Trafford uh, before we have a nice a nice three-week break. So we will catch you then. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues. Three opinions. One Everton Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.